Welcome to the Weekend Barbecue Guru Show. I am your host, Larry Brake, coming to you from the southeast coast of Georgia between Jacksonville and Savannah. We're having a special guest today, Tony Griffo, and in his honor, I have selected the Notre Dame fight song. He is a huge, huge Irish fan. He'll join us here in a few minutes, and we will talk. Super Bowl, we'll talk barbecue, we'll talk food, whatever comes up, we will talk about it. Let's take a quick break and we will be back. Hey, love listening to my old high school alma mater fight song, Duncan Fighting Demons, football, baseball, basketball, we were always good. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Weekend Barbecue Guru Show. I want to extend a welcome to my good buddy, Tony Griffo in New Jersey. How are you, buddy? I'm good, Larry. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, the Super Bowl's coming up. You got big plans? Uh, we don't know yet. We, we, might, uh, we might have our niece and nephew over. We still have a free turkey from Thanksgiving that we bought. It's in a freezer. So we don't know what we're going to do. We usually play it by ear. Um, considering my Giants aren't in the Super Bowl, unfortunately, they're still stuck with Daniel Turnover Jones. And we just play it by ear. Uh, we'll see what happens, see if anybody else is going to do anything. Today in New Jersey, it was... Eight degrees when I had to go out this morning. Eight degrees? That's prime. That is prime barbecue smoking uh, weather there, buddy. Get some good smoke going on that one. I think this is the first NFL season that uh, my Jags and your Giants both made the playoffs, isn't it? I think so. It might possibly be considered Giants didn't get since – before this season, the last playoff game they played was when they beat New England in the Super Bowl. Hmm. So That's I think been a while. That's that was the catch, wasn't it? The helmet no, catch. No, that was the, that was the um, Mario Manningham. That was the pass Eli threw between the two receivers. Hit Manningham at the sidelines. He got his feet in, and that was the last play of the game. Was thrown up for grabs, and the ball landed in the end zone. That was the one where. Mrs. Brady complained because Wes Welker didn't catch the third down pass. And uh, she said, my husband just throws it. He can't catch it, too. Uh, and she caught a lot of flack for that. But you know what? When you're probably the GOAT, yeah, I mean, sometimes the receivers have to make a little adjustment. I remember way back... 71, 72, Cowboys were playing the Redskins. And Roger Staubach threw a perfect pass. It was a, would have been an over-the-shoulder catch by Calvin Hill. Went through his arms. My father and his two brothers at the same time said, if that was Bobby Lane, he would have kicked him in the you-know-where when he walked back <laughs> to the puddle. He said, I threw the pass right there and you dropped it? Well, what about when uh, Staubach hit Jackie Smith right between the numbers in the end zone oh. against the Steelers in the Super Bowl and dropped that one? Yup, that was uh, – uh, and I remember – wasn't it Vern Lundquist? I don't said, remember. said, bless his heart, Jackie Smith. 
I don't remember. Radio, I think he, think Lundquist was doing cowboy games on the radio, and I think he said that, bless your heart, because everyone knew it was Smith's only chance to ever when he was stuck on a on St. Louis they, Cardinals. They, but they were okay. They remember when they were the cardiac cards with Jim Hart and Terry Metcalf Sr., and they were, they were winning a lot of games from behind, but they could never get past the hurdle in the playoffs. And uh, then they moved to Phoenix, and I think the only championship in that entire organization was when they were the Chicago Cardinals. You're right. In 47. You're right. And it's only because I was listening to... Um, um, Mad Dog Russo with his um, uh, Super Bowl questions, and they won it. They won the championship. It was at Comiskey Park in '47, and I don't know who they beat, but as the last time the Cardinal franchise from Chicago to St. Louis to Phoenix has won a championship. That's a long time. Yep, yep. But you know, that's almost as bad as the Cleveland Indians. Was it '48? Yeah. But they, they won the last World Series? Well, they won in the 90s, didn't they? No. Cleveland lost to uh, Atlanta, beat them for their only World Series during that stretch. When it went, Well, before this, this last one, Cleveland has, and then Cleveland lost to uh, the Cubs when they had a 3-1 lead. When the Cubs finally won their first World Series since God knows when, I think the GOAT curse. Okay. They want to let the guy in Wrigley Field with the goat. Mm, okay. Okay. I remember that. that. All right. Let me let me say this: the Super Bowl has made a lot of uh, uh, heroes out of uh, ordinary players, but then it made Hall of Famers out of some good players. And the one that I'm thinking about, who I think it really solidified his uh, career, was Lynn Swan of the Steelers because he was actually on a run-first team. And I don't think that if he played today that he would have the numbers. I mean, his numbers wouldn't match up with what the guys are today, and he would actually be probably a slot receiver and just maybe be a third-down receiver. I don't know that uh, he would be like he was then. But I'm telling you what, those catches against Dallas where he goes and jumps over Mark Washington – Buddy, that put him in the Hall of Fame. What do you think? It, uh, they, were, they were astounding, and he got his leg strength. He, I mean, he was one of the first NFL players. He took ballet lessons. Right. He wanted to strengthen his legs and be able to do get the most out of his um, ability, and he was just phenomenal. I mean – those catches in the Super Bowl, he actually looked like a swan taking off, catching the ball. The one, he caught it, dropped it, caught it again as he was falling down to the ground. Without those catches, Pittsburgh doesn't win those Super Bowls. Right, and that was the Mark Washington catch I was uh, against Mark Washington that I was referring to where it looked like uh, it was going to be like another drop, but uh, he stuck with it, and, man, you could tell his eyes never left that ball. I mean that was that was a golden age of receiver there. I mean, yes. Yeah, so do you remember the superstars competition? I do. Okay, he was in an obstacle course once, and he hurdled the high bar. Wow. 
He was running against, I think it was either, I think it was Paul Krause or the Vikings, because it was the Super Bowl, Vikings against the Steelers. They had that matchup. And Lynn Swan hurdled the high bar, the high jump bar, and landed on the mat, kept on running, won the obstacle course. That was when the Vikings came back to win the um, tug of war to uh, win the competition. But no, Lynn Swan was, I mean, All-American at USC, um, All-Pro at Pittsburgh, Hall of Famer. He's got got everything. He was one, back then, it it was. I mean, you have Drew Pearson, him, Cliff Branch, Fred Belitnikoff, uh, Danny Abramowitz from the Saints was an unsung hero. The two Gene Washingtons, the one from the 49ers, the one from the Vikings. You had some top-notch wide receivers. But it was a run first league, run first. It wasn't like uh, wasn't like what it is now, where it was uh, run the ball because we're trying to open up the passing lanes. You know. And I wish I wish teams would come back with the run first mentality. It makes for good football. Well, that's that's what Jalen Hurts is doing, and that's what uh, the quarterback Josh Allen in Buffalo is doing. They're like being the run guy that uh, they don't, uh, you know, they don't run a fullback anymore. So it's kind of hard not to have a lead back because remember back in the day, Franco Harris would lead uh, Rocky Blyer, Jim Brown would lead uh, Bobby Mitchell, Paul Horning, and Jim Taylor. He had two backs, but you only have one now. I know. Sometimes you wonder if if football has advanced too much. Well, has it? I mean. What I, what I can't stand is the legal formation. I thought the whole idea of the offense was to deceive the defense. I don't care how many guys are lined up at the line of scrimmage, how many guys lined up in the backfield. They should go away with those stupid penalties and just line up any way you want. Defense has to be ready. Well, that's from a day gone by, I think. Uh, there's too much TV money involved in somebody uh, upsetting somebody they're, they're projecting to go to the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Yeah, but with all, without all these penalties, you'd have more plays. Yeah, but they, they will think of something. They had a lot of penalties back in the 70s and 60s. I remember watching Kansas City and uh, Oakland getting into a big old fight. Oh, you mean uh, Ben Davidson hitting uh, Len Dawson and then Otis Taylor jumping in? Yeah, I was watching that game. Oh, God, that, that was, those were the days. My mother was the – Biggest Oakland Raider fan you can find. Hey, hang hang on just a second. Let me let me say something. Let me ask you this: Could any of those '70s teams that we grew up watching could they compete with today's guys, today's defense? Do you think in in running the scheme that they ran back then? If if they played, if they played seventy rules. Meaning you can hit the guy as many times as you want down the field before the ball was in the air. I think the Raiders secondary of Willie Brown, George Atkinson, and Jack Tatum would probably scare receivers going over the middle. Uh, offensively, maybe, maybe the Dolphins. Zonka, Kick, Morris. You, you have a crease. Who's going to stop Zonka? There is not a running back today built like him. So maybe if you combine the Dolphins and the Raiders, or just use the Dolphins and the Raiders, maybe, maybe the Steelers with their running attack, 
and the, the steel curtain, it'd be close. Yes, are guys more athletic today? Absolutely. Are they better players? I don't know. Back then, you didn't have 32 teams. It's like baseball. I'm, I was explaining to my um, students today. Somebody said you know, about uh, LeBron winning championships and Jordan having championships. I said, Bill Russell had 11 in 13 years. He goes, yeah, but yeah. I go, if you're going to go and say, yeah, he had less players, then as a Yankee fan, you have to take into account that almost 20 of your world championships came when there were only eight teams in the American League. So you can, for one way, you can say, yeah. Another way, you got to turn around and say, okay, did it, hurt? did it help my team? Well, sure it did. Did it help the Yankees playing only against eight teams? Absolutely. Did it help the Celtics playing only against who they played in the NBA back then in the 50s and 60s? Sure it did. But if I was drafting an NBA team right now and Bill Russell was available at the University of San Francisco, he's my first pick if I got the first pick in the draft. And I'll build around him. Chamberlain wasn't too bad either. No. And I tell you, a lot of people don't realize how strong Will Chamberlain was. He was a track star in Kansas as well. The long jump, and I think it was the javelin or the shot put, he was immensely strong sounds like i think i remember javelin but i could be could be wrong but uh who are you taking uh next week who are you taking in the uh this game oh and as a giant fan i have to root for kansas city <laughs> I, I i've never once rooted for the eagles or the cowboys or the redskins in the super bowl <laughs> that's just me wow. uh, do I think Kansas City can win? Yeah. Do I think Philadelphia can control the clock and win? Yeah. But I'll root for uh, – and plus the fact that Pat Mahomes used to run around Shea Stadium when his father was on a match in 2000, I'll root for Kansas City. Oh. Well. And, and here, here's an interesting thing. Andy Reid has the most victories as – an Eagle head coach, if he wins the Super Bowl, he will tie the Kansas City record for most victories for head coach for the Chiefs. He'll, he'll top Hank Stram? He will tie. Wow. I don't know it'll if I be a, anybody to be beat his record. Yep, it'll be, it'll be a flat-footed tie when wow. Andy Reid is the Chief. Wow. Yep. Wow, that's crazy. What was that play Hank Stram had in the Super Bowl against the Vikings? 65 toss power trap. Yep. You can just hear him on the sidelines. Yep. Listen, boys, we're going to run 65 power uh, trap, uh, however he yep. said it. And he'd just laugh and laugh and laugh. We're matriculating down the field, boys. Yeah. Yeah, he I was. Think he, I think he was the only head coach back then who knew what matriculating meant. Yeah. Yeah, and probably most of the players didn't know what it meant either. Nope. But, uh, you know, part of me likes to see Jalen uh, Hurts win because he played at Oklahoma. But then, you know, I cheered for the uh, Chiefs when I lived in Oklahoma. Oh, the, I mean, they have – I couldn't believe – this year – was the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, which I still say should have been an incomplete pass. Hey, hang on here. Hang on. Let me say something here.
Hey, I I don't want anybody to uh, forget, but uh, Franco Harris, the one who made the immaculate reception, though it is kind of controversial whether Jack Tatum hit it or not, he did pass away, and I'm sad. Uh, I would have liked for him to uh, enjoy all this uh, celebration of that. Uh, he was a great player out of Penn State. Yeah, it, it would have been it would have been great to see just him on the field for that game. It was going to be a Christmas Eve game. Oakland and the Steelers were playing, and it was the uh, 50th anniversary of the play. Um, I was I was sitting there at my kitchen table watching it with my mom. As I said, she was a huge Oakland Raider fan, and she cried over the end of that game. That was it upset her a lot, and I've always said to this day that if the Raiders had won that game, if they had made that call the right way, that it was all for two offensive players, uh, uh, Frenchie Fuqua and then Franco Harris, I do think the Raiders would have beaten the Dolphins and went to the Super Bowl against the Redskins, but we'll never know. Nope. That's one of those just, one of the, just one of those other things. It's just like the fumble against the Raiders in uh, Denver, seventy-seven AFC uh, Championship. The Holy Roller. The, the, no, no. Before that, the fumble that wasn't. The, uh, they said he crossed the end zone, crossed the goal line with the ball. Replay said he, the ball was out before he hit the line. Denver wins. Oh, 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 Rob Lytle. Yep, and then the, then they then the red the Denver Broncos went and got crushed by the Cowboys because Craig Morton had no time to throw. Uh -huh. Randy White and uh, Randy. Randy White and Harvey Martin were all over him that Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Butch Johnson made the catch in the end zone. Mm, yeah, nobody – that wasn't really a catch in today's standards. That would have been called a trap. Been, would, would have been ruled – yeah, would have been ruled. Well, for them to get there against um, – after they, after they won a controversial game against Minnesota with the uh, Drew Pearson – Offensive pass interference that wasn't called against the Rams. The first catch by um, Pearson, the other Pearson, a running back in the end zone. You can clearly see from another angle the ball bounced up. He bounced up. The ball was on the ground. He landed on it. Preston Rest Pearson. Were in position. No instant replay. And boom, there you go. Uh, Cowboys win two games that they should have never won. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. But uh, give me a score. What do you think right off the top of your head score is going to be this coming coming oh, Super Bowl? 26-23, last second field goal by somebody. It's going to be tighter than people think. The defenses are going to be um, – Steve Spagnuolo is the defensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. If you remember the first Super Bowl against New England, he had four defensive ends rush – Tom Brady, it was the first time all year Brady felt pressure and was getting knocked on his rear end. Uh, Spagnola will come up with something tomorrow to slow down Jalen Hurts. I'm going to say Kansas City is going to win and cover the spread. I think uh, they will take the over. I think it's not going to be as close as uh, what uh, people think. I think Kansas City is uh, primed to show everybody that uh, they are the best team. I think uh, the Cincinnati gave them a wake-up call when they were saying 
Burrowhead Stadium there. I think that uh, Andy Reid, like you said, wants to uh, move into tie with uh, the great Hank Stram in Kansas City record. I'm going to call Kansas City in a runaway. I just think that's I just think that's going to happen. They're all going to be primed, ready to go, and look out, Philly! Here they come. I hope so, and I would that be music to my ears. I'd love to see that. Oh, I think I think so. I think Mahomes. I know that uh, my Jags hurt him, but uh, he's. He's like he can throw off any foot. He can throw falling backwards. He can, he can be falling frontwards and like do a like a wishbone pitch across. You know, which would be a forward pass. He can complete those. I mean, he's like a magician. So Philadelphia yes. hasn't hasn't seen anything like that. So, so who do you think that uh, Mahomes uh, emulates? I think Patrick is a taller, stronger Fran Tarkington. Um, Fran, we're playing with bad Minnesota and giant teams at the first part of the 60s and uh, yeah, early part of the 60s and the 70s. He never had a really great team around him, but he could escape any pass rush. He was nimble. He was quick. He had a uh, shortstop's arm because he played baseball at Georgia and football. He was actually beaten out. No, no. Here's another story. Quarterback from from um, from Kentucky. Here's, here's one for you. Fran Tarkington was beaten out for all SEC quarterback by Jay Gibbs, who became a catcher with the Cleveland Indians wow. and later the New York Yankees. Yep. But Tarkington was a fan favorite of mine when I first started watching football, and he was just amazing. But Mahomes is just, there's, Allen is more straight ahead, I'll run through you. So is Jalen Hurts, where Mahomes is, I'm going to do everything I can, and at the last second, I'm still going to throw the ball. He, he just does things on a football field that I haven't seen since Talkington and even before that, he is a true magician on a full foot, and you don't realize he's six foot four. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a tall kid. He just doesn't look it. He's special, that's for sure. He is special. I, you know, I don't know. So, of all the Super Bowls, what what do you think your favorite all time game ever was? Besides besides when your Giants won it, let me ask you this. Let me change. Let me change the question. Do you like the the uh, 80s champions under Parcells or do you like Coughlin's uh, champions? Which ones – Which who do you like better? Uh, probably probably the team the, – probably the team that I liked the best was the 90 team to beat Buffalo because Belichick was defensive coordinator. And if you remember, they opened with the Bears – he played a four-man line. Against 49ers, he played a three-man line. And against the Bills, he played a two-man line. And Myron Guyton set the tone. When Andre Reid came across the middle, Myron Guyton clobbered him. And Andre Reid never went over the middle again. <laughs> and that was a tie for defense. Belichick had four different... Three different schemes in three different games in three different weeks because there was no bye week that one. That was when um, 
uh, the late great um, Whitney Houston saying at the with the planes going over because it was in during the Iraq War and there was no uh, bye week and the Giants had to play three games in three weeks. And they had three different defensive schemes, and they wound up winning a Super Bowl that nobody except them thought they could win. Now, is that the one she set the standard for the for singing the yeah. national anthem? I think so. She was she was absolutely terrific. Oh. And then with the planes going over at the end, oh, yeah. they were sending goose pimples up everybody's arms. Oh, she yeah, she set the standard that nobody else could even uh, come close to. I mean, it yep. was it was fabulous. And the play that stands out the most of that Super Bowl was Hostetler not fumbling in the end zone when Bruce Smith sacked them. If he fumbles, Giants don't win. They only get two, the Buffalo Bills only got two points with the safety. And then at the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half, Giants controlled the ball for like nine, ten minutes just by the ground game. O.J. Anderson filling in. It was a mid-season pickup by um, oh, George Young. It was a mid-season pickup, and he proved to be the star of that Super Bowl by running over and through. And remember, he knocked the helmet off. One of the uh, one of the safeties on uh, the Bills had that protective piece on his helmet, and Anderson clobbing him with an underarm forearm, knocked the thing right off his helmet. Hey, uh... All right, a tale of two Cardinals. Otis Anderson, which you brought up for the Giants, and Jackie Smith of the Cowboys that uh, missed the pass. Uh, two Cardinals, two different endings, both very, very good players. Uh, who had the who had the better career overall? Oh, uh, I would say Jackie Smith. He was one of the he was one of the first. Um, Sweet-footed tight ends that played in football. Usually back then, tight ends weren't um, fleet of foot. You had offensive linemen who could catch the ball. I think Jackie Smith was one of the first, uh, like I said, fleet-footed tight ends. Otis Anderson was great, but that was one year, one game. Otis Anderson wasn't looked at as, I mean, he did hold the single-season Rushing record for the Cardinals a long time, but overall career, I would say Jackie Smith had a better one. But you know, a lot of times it's uh, when you actually play. Like for an example, I know of uh, Chad Henney and Blaine Gabbert with Super Bowl rings that both played at the Jags and couldn't win a game. So it's almost who you play with, and timing uh, also has a lot to do with it too. Maybe it was just the right time for Otis, but a bad time for Jackie. Oh yeah. Yep. Being in the right place at the right time really does make a difference. I mean, Jeff Hostetler was a career backup, wins the Super Bowl for the Giants. He just played within himself. And I can still remember Mark Bavaro in that championship against the 49ers on one knee making a fourth down catch. And then, then, then the Giants going forward on fourth down with Gary Reasons in the up position on the punt, getting in position for Bar to kick the last, you know, his fifth and last field goal of the game. Sometimes things just happen. It's just, 
you wonder, is God smiling down on certain players? Are the football gods, do they make the ball bounce one way or the other? Um, what's his name? The kid out of Auburn, Cam Newton. Why doesn't he dive for that ball in the Super Bowl against the Broncos? Ball's right there. Yeah. Other quarterback, other quarterbacks dive headfirst into the pile to get the ball. He doesn't move. Denver picks it up. They recover. Certain things, certain, just the ability to make one catch, the ability to make one play. It's what I really comes out of what's inside somebody. They talk about the winning, the winning, the winning. Um, guys like like my students ask me who who's. Who do I think is the best clutch shooter in the NBA? I said the guy who the logo was was used after, Jerry West. And I'd explain to my eighth graders who Jerry West was. A few of them knew from playing um, PlayStation basketball, they knew Jerry West and they knew he was the logo. I mean, sometimes you got to look back to look forward. Sometimes you got to look at the guys who came before you to realize where you're going in the future. But... Again, you know, right time, right place. There, look at look at Joe Namath. He made a career out of two playoff victories. And that a Super career. Bowl. Yep. Super Bowl he, prediction. He, I, I, I yep. just want to say. He beat, the Ra- he beat the Raiders. Beat the Colts. He had more interceptions and touchdowns in his career, but he's in the Hall of Fame because he beat the Colts the first time the NFL beat the NFL, and it it caused the merger to happen. Hmm. Yeah. That was uh, quite a earth-shattering uh, event. That I don't know if the Colts ever was able to live that one down. Oh, and you know who was it? You know who was instrumental in the the merger? As far as the owner, or? yep, it was Wellington Mara, the Giants. He he persuaded Dan Rooney. I mean, Art Rooney, the the original owner of the Steelers. He. Talked to them, he talked to him and he talked to the owner of the Browns about moving from the NFC to the AFC to even it up so we can have the merger. And both guys who were very friendly, both owners were very friendly with Wellington Mara, agreed with it. And the football... Hey, wait a second, wait a second. Are you telling me that uh, the arch enemies actually listen to uh, the Giants owner to is it because they were wanting to avoid or just because they thought the AFL teams were bad and they'd have a better chance to get into the Super Bowl? I it, uh, I don't know the, the whole truth behind the story, but they had to take two teams and he was able to convince Pittsburgh and Cleveland and they went into the AFC Central and it, it worked out for Pittsburgh. They went to four Super Bowls Yep. Cleveland, Cleveland still hasn't got there yet, but it was Wellington Mara who was talking to Art Rooney. And I Paul, I think, no, I think it might have been Paul Brown's son was the owner, or or, more, or it could have been Art Modell. I'm not Modell really was the owner of the Colts. Yeah, because because Paul Brown Only went to Cincinnati. Paul, Paul, yeah, Paul Brown went to Cincinnati. Art Modell took the Colts. And we got, no, he took Cleveland out of Cleveland and became the Baltimore Ravens. Right. I forget who the owner of the Colts. I know I know Ursay was. And I, he took them out of Baltimore for Indianapolis. Right. Yeah. 
But there's, I mean, it's and it made it kept football because the AFL with the Jets and then the Chiefs knocking on the door, it made for the merger, and they've made. If I could have one one hundredth of the money the NFL has made in the past fifty years, I I would never be able to spend it if I lived to be a thousand. All the money they make out of just everything. It's just amazing what they have and they still can't get officials who know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying they they're losing more uh, viewers uh, through some of the stuff. I mean, like you say, the officiating, it's it's crazy. And too many commercials, too, because I have a brother-in-law that tapes every Cowboys game because he can't stand all the commercials, you know? But, mm-hmm. but you got to uh, have some kind of cash flow. Well, the, the first Super Bowl wasn't a sellout. And the first three-minute ad for a Super Bowl was, I think, Thirty-five or forty-five hundred dollars for a three-minute, for a sixty-second spot. Wow. Now a sixty-second spot in the Super Bowl is over a million dollars. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And it's only, it's only what this is Super Bowl fifty-seven, so it's fifty-six years. Yeah. And it's went from four thousand dollars to over a million. Not only that, brother, but remember, it used to kick off at noon. Yeah. Oh yeah. I the first, the first Super Bowl I remember. Watching the entire game was the Colts, Cowboys, Super Bowl five. 16-13. Yep, Jim O'Brien. My mother actually had gotten said to everyone, "Oh, we're going to go to the ice capades." I said, "No, you can go. I'm going to stay home. You're too young to stay home. I'll go by my aunt and uncle's house." They said, "Okay." So I went there, sat on the floor, and watched the entire Super Bowl. And they came home going, "Oh, the the, the ice capades was great." I said, "Yeah, I just saw." The best played defensive Super Bowl because everybody fumbled the ball. Uh, wasn't it raining <laughs> in that game? Did I what? Wasn't it raining in that game? I don't remember. I think there might have been a little bit of a drizzle. And I do remember Chuck Howley was the first and only member who was the first defensive player to win the MVP. He's the only team from a losing team to ever win an MVP of one. The linebacker on the Cowboys. Yeah, it'll never happen again. They'll always pick the quarterback now. Uh, and, and now you're going to Disney World. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. But so, as you said before about Lynn Swan, his defining moment was the Super Bowl. Uh, it has to, for me, it has to be Eli Manning. Two yeah. Super Bowls, two Super Bowls against the arguably greatest of all quarterback of all time. And in both games, he led last-minute drives down the field to win the game. The, the catch was just luck and determination while holding that ball to the guy to his helmet. And the other one was just getting him downfield. I mean, the story came out after the first Super Bowl. Eli went into the hole and goes, guys, we're going down the field, we're going to win. Everybody turned around and said, "Okay, Eli said so," and that was it. He he may he may act. Hey, like- hey, just a second. Let me ask. Now, Eli had some good games, but if the guys didn't catch it, then they would have lost, like the helmet catch. So yeah. I agree, but then I wonder, you know, if the guy hadn't made that great catch, what would have happened? What say you? Yeah. 
it's it's a little bit of both. Eli doesn't break the tackle. There's no throw. So there was there was a lot of, lot going on in that play. But just the demeanor. I mean, he, he acts like a goober when he's with his brother on TV. But when he's leading people down the field, and he he's won more he won more games than any other Giant quarterback. He won more playoff games than any other Giant quarterback. A two time Super Bowl MVP. I, I think he's a no. I, I'm not going to say he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he's a no doubter to get into Canton. Well, He'll join it other than this. This the last name alone gets him in. I mean, is he better than Peyton? No, there's not many people. There's not many quarterbacks better than Peyton. I would maybe I would Brady, Dan Marino, Peyton Manning. The last Stalbert or uh, Bradshaw. I'm just saying the last four, the last thirty years, yeah. I've seen those quarterbacks. I put those three as one, two, three. I mean, overall, he's in the top fifteen. They all three of them are. What about quarterbacks calling their own plays like Bradshaw? I mean, it's like you know, they have a lot of quarterbacks that are becoming offensive coordinators. Yeah, and, and it's funny because they never called the plays when they were on the field. Well, Bradshaw did. No, I'm talking about other. Other players like the young quarterback coaches of today that I, I don't I don't remember. No, they the, didn't. I mean, unless Brady called his own plays, I don't know if Eli called his own. He, he could have. I think Bill Walsh cha- changed all that by calling all the plays for yep. Joe Montana. I think Bill Walsh and, did that. Yep, and scripting the. I mean, if if you, if you're a coach and you say. Well, Joe Montana has the place called for him. What are you going to do if you're a Joe nobody? Yeah. I mean, he's he, uh, an undefeated uh, Super Bowl quarterback, and you're saying, okay, well, if, if they're calling the place him, I'll call the play. You know, he can call the place for me. But it's it's you got four guys on the sidelines. Who's holding up placards? Who's holding up? And you, you wonder what the play is. And then you still see the quarterback looking at the cheat sheet on his arm. And then calling another play at the line of scrimmage, it's, you have to be smart to be a quarterback. I mean, I, I know your QB, you could be big, strong, fast, agile, but you still have to be, there has to be an intelligence there so you can know what you're doing in the situation that occurs. You can't be, you know, everyone said Bradshaw was stupid. No, he wasn't. He might have acted stupid, but man was smart as any. He was sly like a fox, and he was smart. He's got that down-home country boy persona, but you don't win four Super Bowls by being, you know, all shucks, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, you knew what you were doing. You know, quarterbacks can become good offensive coordinators, just like uh, the one that you lost to Alabama. Yes, Tommy Tommy Reese, former quarterback for Notre Dame, decided to take the uh, job offer from Nick Saban. And a lot of people on the Notre Dame websites and Notre Dame Facebook and all of that, they didn't like Tommy. They didn't want Tommy anymore. And I'm saying to myself, well, here's Nick Saban. Love him, like him or not. Here's the man with more NCAA championships than anybody and he wants them. So how bad really could Tommy Reese be if Nick Saban wants them? Well, here's the thing about Saban. And this 
it's not anything that I have inside information on, but just from, I guess, just watching, standing back and uh, looking at him and looking at all the coaches that's come and gone, does, does any of his coaches really last more than maybe three years? Because I don't see anybody really uh, – so I don't really see anybody staying long with uh, Saban. I, I mean, even Bill O'Brien went back to uh, someone who was equally as temperamental, Belichick in New England. But, I mean, you have Georgia and you have uh, Alabama who are clearly the top two. But, golly, both their coaches, if you watch on the sidelines, how I mean, how do guys take all that verbal abuse anymore? I mean, look at Stetson Bennett. He – Won two national championships back to back, and he's like twenty five yeah. years old. Got arrested. It's 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 tough. It's like you you wonder. Um, you look at him, and he, he he doesn't seem to have any athletic ability. And he's always making the plays, and he's always doing everything. Is he going to be a sort of quarterback that yeah, he was great in college, won two national championships? But do you see him actually as a pro, or does it have to be the perfect fit? I think like you look at him. You look at him compared to Joe Burrow. Oh, there's. Burrow's, but there's no comparison between the two. No, height wise. Height wise, length wise, arm wise. Right. So you wonder: is, is Bennett going to be a career backup, like say Colt McCoy, or is he going to be that guy that fits in with the right team and? is maybe a run-first team, and he just has to be a – and I know everyone hates that word, but a game manager. Well, let's 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 uh, let's start right here. First of all, I see him as another – in the pros, another Baker Mayfield, height-wise, arm-wise. And we saw what Kyler Murray, how that ended up in Arizona. He's a short-statured. I'm not so sure that uh, this kind of uh, the Mike Leach offense is suited for the pro game because, let's face it, who does who, there's who's Alabama's toughest opponent? Nobody until they actually get into a bowl game, or if Georgia's good in the the, the SEC championship game, they really don't play anybody that tough no i mean this year was a down year for them losing the boat well tennessee beat them tennessee was at home and lsu was at home but tennessee and, was good until the quarterback right, got hurt right and um lsu just you know sometimes you can play with fire sometimes you could get that huge upset and sometimes you can't get anything and i mean when you can when you can when you have a five-star um, athlete that you sign sits on the bench for two years to get a shot to play and doesn't transfer out, you got to be doing something, or that kid just wants to be there. And now with now with the um, image, what's it? The nil. The, um, the nil. Nil. Um, yeah, that that is just they've opened a can of worms. That they're not going to be able to put the toothpaste back in the tube. Nope. And it's going to be only worse. Transfer portal, 
Well, again, do I do I say yes to the transfer portal? In a way, yes. There were a lot of times when poor kids had to sit out a year if they transferred and coaches didn't, which I didn't think was fair. Is the transfer portal a little bit out of out of whack now? Yeah. Is it good for football? It could be. It's it's gonna make different it's gonna make every year different. Usually some teams are okay one year, not okay the next, but now if you can get a kid to come, like say Sam Hartman plays four years at Wake Forest, sets all their records, and then transfers to Notre Dame. Yeah, does Notre Dame want Sam Hartman? Sure they do. They see the best quarterback on campus? Absolutely. Can they win 12 games? Don't know. They got Ohio State at home, fourth game of the season, and they got Clemson on the road. Will it be interesting? Sure it will. Would it have been interesting with Tyler Buckner, uh, Drew Pine if he didn't transfer, Steve Angeli from New Jersey, and the new kid Minchie coming in as a true freshman? That would have been exciting, but probably not as many wins. Hey, uh, now here's here is my thoughts on these the NIL. I agree with you on the transfer, but the NIL, if that had always been legal, Oklahoma would never have gone on probation, never, because that's what they always got in trouble for, was uh, stuff like that. But here's here's the thing, you you said that uh, it's going to get some guys. But there are some guys who's never going to see any NIL money. And who is that? It's going to be your lineman. Because the big money is going to go to the, to the skills guys or to the stars. Is a kicker going to get NIL money that's in the millions? No. No. Is a defensive tackle? Not unless he's like a monster. Now, you know, let's say back in the day, Bosworth would have commanded a lot of money. A lot of oh, money. Yeah. Uh, even when Troy Aikman was at Oklahoma, he would have got a lot of money. But here's the thing. Not everybody's going to get what you say as, as money that will set them up for life if they don't make the pro. I don't think anybody who's not going to the pro is going to get any, any NIL because I think that the whole purpose of that is to latch on and say when they turn pro, hey, remember me and just maybe do a kickback for some of that stuff that they gave them in college and give them a little bit uh tickets or access or you know what I mean? Yep. Uh, uh, taking a step back, NIL, how do you feel about a player who signs his national letter of intent, plays three or four years at a school, gets free room and board, free everything, He's ready to play the last game of the year. It's not a championship game. It's a bowl game. And decides to tell his teammates, guys, I ain't going to play this game. I don't want to get hurt because the draft is coming up. To me, personally, and I've seen this two years in a row with Notre Dame. Kyle Williams didn't play against Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl. He was hurt. Kyron Williams, the running back, didn't. And Notre Dame needed him. This year it was Isaiah Foskey and Michael Meyer. Michael Myers is going to be a first-round pick. They would they look like they needed him in the game. My situation, my personal opinion is, I'm at the school. 
I've given him three years, possibly four. I'm playing in a bowl game. I'm going to take my chances because I can get hurt at the combines as well. I can twist an ankle. I can blow my knee out running a 40-yard dash. I can get hit by a bus walking across the street. I'm going to be loyal to my team, and I'm going to play in the bowl game. But then, that's, again, that's just me. Well, here's here's let me throw this at you then. Since we do have the uh, playoffs and they are actually going to expand the playoffs, do we actually need bowl games anymore? Um, see, I would if if I would the expand the playoffs is great, but I would use after the after the first round games at home are done, I would use bowl games. No, but what I'm saying is. Oh, the other bowl games? Yes, because it would. It's a. It's what if you're. What if you're a school that just misses? What if you're a school that for years couldn't win anything, and all of a sudden you win nine games, and, but you can't get in the playoffs because there's everybody ahead of you, even with twelve games. Isn't it great to just give that team one more shot at a game where they can get one of those? Um, get those uh, souvenir packs and be wind and dine by a bowl and play one more time on a national scope, a national audience, and be able to beat them and then hoist that, I don't know, Fiesta Bowl trophy or lawnmower trophy or whatever it is, just to play one more game with that uniform on and then off you go. You take your college degree and you go. That's why I think the bowl games are so important. I mean, this year, with my situation, being home, I watched every single bowl game. I watched at least one play of every single bowl game this year. Wow, I didn't. And some of them are, some of them on my iPad while my wife was watching TV, but recuperating from the surgery, I watched a lot of... You know, when I was able to focus the first couple of weeks, couldn't focus on anything. But later on in December, when the bowl game started, I was watching them because. Hang on, hang on, hang on. They don't have bowl games in the NFL or the NBA. Either you make the playoffs or you don't. They don't have, I guess they have the NIT, but who watches the NIT basketball? I mean, oh, I they, have, they have the baseball, but they don't have. Bowl no, games but, for baseball. I mean, I, well, it's a thing. It's a thing of the past. I think. I think it's something right. that they're just well, doing it because these bowls spend so much money or get so much money of revenue that they hate to say sorry, but we're not using it anymore. But I mean, I, I just don't know that they're sustainable. Well, I, I like also the fact that you have over a hundred teams eligible in college football. It's it's fun to have, to see the bowl games. I mean, look, the NCAA has expanded over the years, and now you got 64 teams and you got four playing games. So you actually have 68 teams. What's going to be next? 72? And they're going to have four more playing games or two more playing games? It's I The, the more the better. Every year they always expand. Well, what's the point of the regular season then? What is... I, well, I, regular season is to get home field advantage. Yeah, but I mean, I, I know. Hey, if if they cut they if they cut baseball back to 150, they cut baseball back to 154 game season, and played eight double headers 
you wouldn't be playing baseball in November. Well, they pretty it, much do it now, don't they? That's what I'm saying. They do it now. But if you took, if you put it, in, if you took the 162 games and put it into a 154 game schedule, adding double headers, you could probably finish the season earlier and not have to worry about again playing a game in November. Who wants to play? In November, sitting in the stands, who wants to sit in the stands for a baseball night game in November? Because they're not going to play day games anymore. No. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have a day. I mean, when, when we were kids, they always had day games. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And week and weekend day games, Saturday, Sunday, day games. Um, the Twinite uh, doubleheaders, uh, like 5 o'clock start? I, I love Twinite doubleheaders. We used to start at 5.30. Well, four four thirty now they start them. I've gone to a couple met. They've had a couple at City Field where they had to turn them into twenty-eight double headers, and they start at four thirty. And it's it's great. Two games for the price of one, and you sit there and you watch and you just enjoy the entire day. I mean, there's still nothing like sitting at a ballpark on a bright sunny day watching a baseball game. There really isn't anything like it. I mean, Bogart even said, he goes, a hot dog at the ballpark is better than a steak at the Ritz. <laughs> I guess, I mean, and baseball's losing its fan base. It's losing its its passion among um, spectators. There are four major sports, but it's like all this money and everything else, you just hope that, and they keep adding teams, you just hope they can survive. Well, I don't know that they can, really. I mean, look at uh, the uh, drop-off of, uh, like, say, the participation. There's more people playing football and basketball than there are baseball and soccer. There's more people who are the better athletes playing football and and basketball than are actually uh, running track. Yep, and even though baseball is – does have lucrative contracts for everybody. It's also the slowest of the four sports. Hockey is extremely fast. Basketball has its breaks, but is fast. Football is constant movement. Baseball, that is trying to speed up the game. But also, if you're a kid and you're still playing left field in Little League, how many baseballs get hit out to you? Unless they go through the shortstop or underneath the third baseman's glove. You're sitting out there chasing flies. Or a left-handed batter can't get around on the fastball and cracks it your yeah. way and vice versa. Right. Or making sure that's on in your face fits a human night. And the baseball is, and it, it is, I mean, football, you have to buy your spikes. You don't have to buy your equipment. The school gives it to you. Baseball, you have to buy everything. You have to buy your bat, your spikes, the glove. Hockey's more expensive because the sticks and the skates cost a lot. Here, let me ask Um, you this. Let me ask you this. All right, I saw where they are going to use a computerized electronic balls and strike umpire, and I'm I'm guessing that's the only place it's going to be. But uh, they, I guess, are sick and tired of the different umpire, different strike zone. What what, what do you think? uh, I think it's a long time coming. And it's going to revolutionize the sport because I don't understand why you just cannot have armpits to knees. 
I mean, for years, I umpired high school baseball and softball. Armpit Denise, it's very simple. If a guy's big like Aaron Judge, he's got a bigger strike zone. If a guy's short like Freddie Potek, he's got a very small strike zone. But that's what it should be. Armpit to knees over the plate. But, 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 but isn't the strike zone now considered belt to knees? Probably because you never see the letter high fastball get called as a cold strike because um, uh, Major League Baseball wants more offense. Offense sells games. Me personally, I love games when it's a pitcher's duel and it's great defense, but that's just me. I like pitching. I like the, I like to see guys set up for defense, but I also don't like the shift, and I'm glad that's gone. I don't know how many times I watched the Met game, and if you have a shift for a right-handed batter, and you have three infielders on the left-hand side of the field, and only your first baseman standing on the right side, you cannot throw to the outside corner if you're a pitcher. You just lost one of your major effective pitches because you, if you throw it on the outside, he just has to slap it and it's a base hit. And instead of being a double play, it's now first and third. Well, here, so, well, here let me, here's, here's something else too. Whatever happened to just laying down a bunt where there is no third baseman? Oh my God, no one, no one wants to do that because if they keep consistently doing that, the shift will stop, but they won't be getting their huge contracts because Oh, well, you bunted 17 times, you didn't hit any home runs. So all these, it's just like every other sport. Basketball, it's either a dunk or a three. Baseball, it's a home run. Or I'm driving one, I'm li- ripping a line drive off the wall. Situational hitting is a thing of the past. You'll never see, you'll, you'll very rarely see that again. You'll very rarely see ball players. Um, Jeff McNeil is one example. He's a throwback. He led the league in hitting with the Mets this year. He's a guy that will hit the ball where it's pitched, not try to yank it and pull it and get that ground ball to the second baseman. If more guys learned to swing the bat where the ball is and where the ball's going and not to try to to pull it, you'd you'd see a lot more 300 hitters and you'd see guys lining balls all over the place. Um... What's his name? The Japanese guy. Sadahara O? No, no, the, the singles hitter. Uh, I can't think of anybody but him, to, to be honest with you. He came over and played with Seattle for a long time. They put his first name on his uniform instead of his last name. Oh, he ended his career with the Yankees. He was the right fielder with the gun for an arm. Uh, I know you talk about, but I can't think of his name either. Yeah, he, he was he he was he was a he was a, a modern day Rod Carew. Hit the ball where it's been. Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn had what fifty lifetime home runs. Led the league almost every year he was in it. Why? Because he hit the ball where it was pitched. Yeah. You don't have you don't have to hit the ball five hundred feet for it to be effective. If someone pitches a left handed hitter outside. You would a line drive down the left field line that rolls into the corner, you just drove in two runs and you're standing on second base and your team now has the lead. You're a right-handed hitter, pitch outside, you would have done a right field line, ball goes in the corner. You drive in two runs, you're standing on second. You try to hit the ball out of the park, I mean, unless you're Reggie Jackson who struck out way more times than the home runs he hit, you're not going to pull the ball, you're not going to hit the ball. 
I mean, do you realize Joe DiMaggio had less strikeouts than home runs in his career? But I think I think now it's it's almost and uh, it's almost like it's kind of a given that uh, you're going to either uh, fly out trying to hit a home run, hit a home run, or you're going to strike out. Now, now the guys that I grew up watching, mainly Cardinal guys, I can't imagine uh, like Willie McGee and playing on that turf, trying to hit a home run. If they put the shift on, I'm seeing him slapping it down the line. I think the old-time uh, managers, Billy Martin, Gil Hodges, uh, Red Shandings, uh Sparky Anderson, I think oh, they they go crazy in this game. They would they would have a they would have a field day with if the with the ship still on. All their hitters would be taught slap the ball the other way. We don't make them come out of the ship. Yeah, make them come out of make them make them pull the shift, make them take the shift off, and then our you know your three, four, five hitters can hit line drives everywhere because now you got you know you. You have um, Bryce Harper come up, guy standing in short right field. He gets the, the line drive hits ten feet in front of him. He throws the guy out of first base. Yeah. You take the shift away, put everybody on the infield. Now it's a more level playing field. Now you, pitchers have to go back to pitching, which means they use every part of the plate. You throw outside, inside, up, down, come back in, change your speed, change your arm angle. I mean, you can be a pitcher with a 92-mile-an-hour fastball, and if you use different arm angles in different locations, you can be as effective as somebody who throws 100 if uh, you know how to pitch. Uh-huh. That's right. Location, location, location. That's it. That's what we were always taught. Absolutely. You don't have to you, – you, if you throw the ball where you – if the ball goes where you want it to go, good things are going to happen for you. If you throw the ball, we don't want it to go. It's going to be like, you know, that's how you get stiff necks as you turn your head real fast watching the ball fly out of the park. That's a short, short uh, day of work there if you can't uh, hit your mark. Nope. You'll, hey. be like Ed, you'll be like Ed Whitson was with the Yankees. Huh. You uh, Mets or Yankees? I can't remember. Oh, I've been a Mets fan since I was a little kid. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. But you kept bringing up Yankees, and I thought, huh, maybe I'm, maybe he switched, but I guess you didn't. No, no, I'm, I'm, um... You'd rather fight than switch? Is that what what you're telling me? No, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, I would, absolutely, I've been a Met, I have so many pitchers on my Met wall for, um, the night, from the 1969 World Series and other Mets that I have, and baseball cards, and stuff like that, and um, I'm extremely happy with it. And I didn't tell you, uh, because I was I was laid up with the surgery, my niece and nephew got me a... Um, hey. My birthday present, my birthday present was a video recording from Keith Hernandez wishing me a happy birthday. Oh, wow. Wow, that's an old yep. cardinal. <clears throat> yep, I got one of those... Uh, the, I don't know, the cameo, whatever it is. Wow. And it was, for, it was from Keith Hernandez wishing me 
a happy birthday. And, um, oh, that was when that trade happened. I thought that was the, to me, that marked the beginning of the beginning. When Hernandez came over to the Mets, I said to myself, this team is going, has a leader now. If they re-sign them, they're going places. And then Gooden and Strawberry, and then a trade for Carter. Those battles with the Cardinals were absolutely unbelievable. Um, the only thing that got me was 85, almost every Cardinal had a career year. It was like, <laughs> Like Willie McGee, Vince Coleman, Tommy Hurd, 110 RBIs. When was that ever going to be possible again? Well, he saved up every RBI, saved up every RBI for um, 1985. Well, but the rest of the story, the rest of the story is you are bringing up some hard feelings here because at first base was the worst call I think ever in my lifetime that I saw like in real time. There's no way that, I mean, that was a, such a terrible call and it caused the Cardinals to, especially Andujar to just go crazy. Yep. And he blew up. It, and that was they it. Should have met, they, I, I was, a, as a Mets fan, I was rooting for Kansas City. Of course you they were. Should have, they should have never been a game seven. Kansas City, they should have never, and actually Whitey got tossed from game seven. Because he said, if you would have made the right call yesterday, I wouldn't be here right now. <laughs> and it got, it got him tossed from game seven. But he was absolutely right. That was the worst call. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Worst call I've ever seen on a baseball field. That guy was out by two steps. Oh, yeah. Easy. Easy. I mean, I might be maybe exaggerating a little bit, but I do think Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder could have made that call before that dude did. Oh, absolutely. That was Don Dinkinger, right? Um, um, I probably, I think, name rings a bell. It was just, it was, I mean, St. Louis has won more world championships internationally. I think they're second only to the Yankees. And And they actually beat the Yankees twice. Uh, 64 with Bob Gibson, and it, it was immortalized in the 1926 World Series when it was immortalized in a movie called The Winning Team, where none other than Ronnie Reagan played Grover Cleveland Alexander. Hmm. And Doris Day played as well. Simply got the ending in the game wrong. He, they have, they have uh, Grover Cleveland striking out the last batter. Actually, Babe Ruth got called out trying to steal second. Right. And I tell you, World Series ended. My uh, my my mother's father, my my uh, grandfather, I that I only knew was him. He was a huge Enos Slaughter fan. That's who his all-time favorite Cardinal was. And then I think he uh, liked uh, Bob Gibson, and he liked Lou Brock. And then sadly, he passed away uh, in '84. So he saw the, was it 82 when they beat the Brewers? But he was sick, sick, sick. But uh, he got to see that, and then he was no more. But uh, he is why I became a Cardinal fan. I that, uh, That's, I mean, the 82 World Series. Game 7, Keith Hernandez, 
game-leading hit. He got hit with the bases loaded for the Cardinals. And four years later with the Mets, game seven, he's up, drives in, drives in two runs with a caught single, puts the Mets back within one, and they win both World Series in seven games. You talk about putting someone in it, for offense, for defense alone, if Scott Rowland's in for batting 281 and having three gold gloves, then Keith Hernandez should be in the Hall of Fame for all of his gold gloves and hitting over 300 for a career and winning the MVP award, which Scott Rowland didn't. Well, you know why why uh, Hernandez is not in the Hall of Fame. It's probably because of what happened when he was uh, with the Cardinals in nope, the early nope, 80s. Nope, with, uh, nope, 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 I, I don't think so. I think it was because Newman called him and said, Hey, pretty boy. <laughs> you remember that? Oh, that, that episode. Seinfeld was the only show on TV that could have spoofed the Kennedy assassination. Yep, and the OJ chase. Yep, with, there was a second spitter. But. From, from the grassy note, it was McDowell. Why would McDowell do it? Maybe because we poured a beer on his head in the, in the bullpen. But because Newman called him a pretty boy, I think the Hall of Fame has said, there's, you know, there's no way we can put him in. I don't care how great uh, career he had. This because Newman, hello, mm-hmm. Newman, said so. Uh, we just can't do it. We just can't, cannot let someone that Newman looks down on yep. get in. I, I was... Yeah, I was lucky enough to see Keith Hernandez's number retired, but because of the surgery I had this summer, I couldn't go to Met Old Timers game. And I was watching at my niece and nephew's house, and Steve Cohen actually retired Willie Mays' number 24. And I thought that was awesome. I thought that was so long overdue. Willie Mays is an icon. I mean, I, I we I saw him at the tail end with the Mets. Saw him for a couple of years when he was with the Forty Nine. When I first started watching baseball, him in San Francisco uh, on the Giants, and the man was just—I mean, humble. Nobody had a bad word about him. He was just unbelievable, and it was—you know—you look at what these guys have gone through. I mean, Jackie Robinson set the stage and then Larry Doby and then Willie and then Satchel Page and Hank Aaron and Frank Robinson and all these guys. And it's just un it's just unbelievable. I mean Frank Robinson, the only man to be MVP in both leagues. Once with Cincinnati, once with um Baltimore. The, uh, Baltimore, Baltimore wasn't it? Orioles. Yeah. It's just amazing. And, it, and you, you just stop and think what the record books would have been if the black athlete could have played all that time, not starting in 47, but playing all that time and let it be an equal playing field for everybody. They would have had to expand baseball earlier with all the, with all the talented black players coming in to major leagues. And it would have been, would have been better. It would have been better for the league. 
Like Leo DeRosa said, he goes, guys, I don't care if they're blue, white, green, black, red, or it's striped. He goes, they want to win, and I want them on my team because I want to win. Yeah. And that way, that's the way it should be. We shouldn't care about what color skin or what a guy speaks or where he's from. If he can play, I want him on my team. They can play. Yeah. It's it's kind of different now because you don't have the Willie Mays. You don't have uh, the Bob Gibsons. The, the, I don't know what the uh, – uh, I guess the – makeup is between the different races in baseball, but I think it's probably got to be at least 95% uh, white, isn't it? It's right now. It's, um, I think it's, just, it's, it's the Hispanic players, the white players, and of course the black players, but so many, so, like I said, so many young, uh, black kids in America are looking towards basketball and football. I mean, I, as I said, I umpired a Babe Ruth game. It had to be almost 20 years ago, I'd say maybe 18 years ago in, Hack, in Hackensack here in New Jersey. And I had, I look at the coach and go, Coach, you got enough to field the team? He goes, I got nine kids. I go, kids didn't show up? He goes, that's all I can get because I'm – I'm battling the gangs. I'm battling the drug dealers. I can't get enough kids to come out for the team. Wow. And that was that was like 17 years ago. So you wonder what it's like now. And that's that's for every place because um, there are a lot of kids. Baseball is not the spectacular sport. Football and basketball are. Baseball is not. Baseball is a boring sport, and it really does. Um, cut down on inner city. Most kids want to play basketball because it's cheaper. One kid gets a basketball. We all have sneakers. One kid gets a basketball. All we need is a hoop. Let's go play. Baseball, you need a bat, you need a glove, you need spikes. It's a little more expensive. A lot of kids can't afford it. And all walk all walks of life, all um you know, all races, all creeds, all everything. It's it's sad. I mean, I see it firsthand. I teach six, seven, eight grade kids and I ask them we had pizza day last week, and I said, guys, if you really, truly don't have enough or don't have the $2 for the slice, I said, ask me. I'll, I'll put the money up. You don't have to pay me back. If you really want pizza that day, I'll buy it for you. And the kids said, no, that's okay, Mr. G. We, we have it. And nobody nobody came forward. I mean, a year before, a couple years before, I, I messed it up. I, put, I gave them the forms too late. I said, you know hey, uh, hey, let me ask you something here. So, right. do you guys like uh, do barbecue stuff uh, for uh, lunches? And, you know, instead of pizza or tacos or whatever. Yeah. What's yeah, your favorite look, barbecue? Well, the, the, the typical, the typical Italian New Jersey barbecue is hot dogs, hamburgers, and sausage. That's our that's our go to meal. That's what we do. Um, very ri- we'll we'll go out to get ribs. We'll go out to get brisket. There is a couple places. Uh, I remember going to New York. There was a couple good places in the city. But basically, for us, it's um, hot dogs, hamburger, sausage. Maybe we'll throw a couple steaks on the grill. And with the Italian, just basically, we, as Emerald says about the, the Holy Trinity, 
the Kings have the Holy Trinity of spices. It's salt, pepper, and garlic. <laughs> so you, you're basically more a griller than a smoker. Type. Yeah. So I, yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll do, we'll grill, grill almost anything. I put um, shark steak on the grill. What we kind of grill? Chicken. What's your what's your brand of your grill? I I have a um I have a uh, is it Weber or Weber? Weber. Well, I have a Weber, um, with the three burners. Oh, it's a gas. And, um, what call? Uh, oh god, it's gas. Propane. It's propane. Yeah, it's propane, and I turn it on, let it go, let it get up to the temperature I need it, keep it closed. And then when I get it real hot, put the stuff on, I remember, don't open it until you're ready. Yeah, you got to keep the heat in. Yeah, don't open it till you're ready. Keep it all, keep it set and let everything get ready with it and then we're going to just go from there. Um, I find that as a kid, you like things a little... Um, Well, more well than not. And as I get older, I find I like things a little more on the rare side. It's easier to digest. Gotcha, gotcha. So I'll go with I'll go with medium rare. Um, wings. We do a lot of um, air frying with our wings. We put salmon in the air fryer. We'll put pork chops in the air fryer. Uh, we just tried a chili lime seasoning on the salmon it came out really really good and then my wife made um flounder the other day and she used a combination of breadcrumbs and grated cheese with melted butter put that on the fish and we baked that in the oven and that came out really good um but basically uh we like hot dogs um going out i'll order steak not as much now because of the operation we hold it to like maybe special events birthdays um anniversaries stuff like that but we have some pretty good steakhouses here in New Jersey that we go to. I mean, probably the best steak I've ever had was a toss-up between Gallagher's in New York City and um, oh, a place in Phoenix that we were out there when Bernice and I were first married. Um, I can't think of the name of the place now. But it was it was so tender and so good because it was right from the cows are from the Phoenix area, right where they um, grow them, you know, raise the cattle there. So yeah, nothing. I'm kind of like um, Doug from King of Queens when they said, "Do you like steak?" He goes, "I carry my own knife." That kind of sums me up. All right, hey. Thanks for coming on. That's going to wrap up this episode. I appreciate you, brother. Uh, we'll have you on again, talking uh, sports and things like that. So 
Best to your health and see you.